Really, we're all the same. Sure, some of us have more money, more skill, more brains, or more time than others. But you and I want the, same, the same thing. thing. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. To have an impact, a huge impact on my family, my community, my world. Now it's time to take that dream and turn it into reality. To use what we do have to accomplish, to accomplish something great. It's time to leave mediocre behind. It's time to leave mediocre behind. Because it doesn't matter how much you have. It's how you use it. The opportunity is before you. The opportunity is before you. But, But you, you have, have to, to take, take the first, the first step. step. Hello. Wow, I am so glad we're here tonight. I, I got to tell you this. Officially, the series starts tonight because the first two weekends were just intro. I, this is the message I just could not wait to get started. Can I ask you a question tonight? And I'm not being cheesy. I just want to know, is there anybody here who would like to be blessed, to lead a blessed life? I mean, would you like that? I mean, to know, to feel God's blessings rain down on you? Wouldn't that be great? Let me ask you another question. Is there anybody here tonight who would like to live an impact, a life of impact so that when you get to the end of your life, you can look back and say, wow, my life was worth living. Anybody want to live that kind of life? Would you like to have both? I mean, that's what I love. I, God has set this thing up so you can have both the blessings of God and a life that makes a difference. I am so pumped tonight to bring tonight's message. You ready to go to work? I'm just going to lay it down before you tonight. If you grab hold of this, you will have it. Your life will be blessed. See, most people want God to bless what they're doing. They need to do what God is blessing. So tonight, here's the deal. It's the secret. I'm going to give you what God is blessing and then how to make a difference. So roll up your sleeves, if you will, unless you have short sleeves on. And then uh, if you've got notes, if you want to take notes with me this evening, by the way, all the stuff is in the journal. So if you have a journal, you'll be seeing a lot of this. But I want to give you some really, really important things. So let's take the first phrase tonight, if you will, write down the words risk reward, risk slash reward. A lot of people have the idea that uh, Wall Street thought up risk reward, but it wasn't Wall Street. It was God. From the very beginning, God put that odd couple together, and they are an odd couple when you think about it. Risk and reward. When I think about reward, I get a good feeling. It conjures up images of Christmas morning, birthday parties, Um, it conjures up images of promotions at work. If you've started a business, the idea of reward is the idea of your business doubling. Reward is a wonderful, wonderful thought. Now, here's what I want us to understand. A lot of Christians, especially those who've come from traditional church backgrounds, struggle with this a little bit. God has made you to crave reward. Okay? Every once in a while I run into Christians, oh, no, no, I don't think we should ever want God to reward us for anything. In fact, I've preached messages before on how that God will reward us in heaven. And I've had, you know, Christians come up to me, their chins, you know, bouncing off the ground. And, and they would say things to me like, well, I just don't know if God really wants me to want reward. I just need to be faithful. And, you know, some people are more spiritual than God. I mean, think about this. I mean, think about the things that Jesus said. He said, give, and it'll be given to you. I mean, he, he said things like, you know, if you'll bring the tenth, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out. I mean, many, many times when God asks us to release something, instantly there's the promise that he will bring reward. So I think we need to be real clear on the fact that God wants you to crave reward. And oftentimes the reason why a lot of believers don't want to think about reward is because they're concerned about that other part of the couple, 
risk. Because God has joined those two at the hip. They go together, risk-reward. The fact that it's known by basically every strata of the world and all of our culture, it's not that the world invented that, God invented that. Risk goes with reward. Let me give you one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And even though I'm sure it was written in Hebrew, I don't need Hebrew to get a translation on this. Do you have anybody who grew up on a farm here tonight? Or maybe you have a farm, yeah. All right, you guys, you, you, you can really understand this proverb. It's my personal favorite. 14.4, without oxen, a stable stays clean. All right? That's not real complicated. My grandpa was a farmer. I went out to help him. A lot of times when I was growing up, I know exactly what that means and what it smells like. Without an oxen, here's a farmer that says, hey, you know what? I don't want to shovel any manure, so I guess what we're going to do, we just won't have any oxen here. And you know what? He could show everybody, hey, look at this. I have the cleanest barn around, and he would. But look at the second part of that proverb. But you need a strong ox for a what? Large harvest, right. If you don't have any oxen, in other words, if you're not taking any risk, you don't have any reward. But if you want reward, you're going to have to deal with a stall that's just a little bit messy. Now, our story, and by the way, all five of my talks are built around the same story that Jesus told. And in case you might not have been here the last two weeks, and even if you were, I think it would be good for us just to go back and get a real, real quick review on Jesus' story. You said there was a very wealthy guy, millions and millions and millions of dollars. He had to take a trip. He could not manage his own transactions, so he hired three men, three money managers, to handle transactions for him. He determined what each guy was able to handle. He gave one guy $5 million to play with, another guy $2 million, and a third guy gave $1 million. He said, go out, make transaction, build the estate. Two of the guys went out, and they put the money into motion, and they doubled, which is what our series is about, they doubled the resources. The third guy who had the million, instead of going and putting the money in motion, he dug a hole in the ground and buried the money. And when the owner came back, as we've seen the last two weeks, he was very pleased with the first two guys. And he commended them, and he gave them profit sharing, and he made them partners. And he said, you've been faithful with the small stuff. Now I'm going to turn big things over to you. And by the way, the owner in the story is God, and the managers are us. The third guy, he got blistered. I mean, the owner came back and said, you're painful to deal with. You're slow, you're fired, take the million from him and give it to the guy with five million. And I I will say this, one thing I feel, I feel this is a series that's kind of pushing us uphill a little bit. Because a lot of us as Christians, we, we, we want the reward, but we're not sure about stretching and doing something that might be challenging to our situation. Wow. Now here's what I want us to think about. Think about the, the divergent approaches of those managers. The first two guys, when they went out to put the money in motion, Were they thinking about risk or were they thinking about reward? Or perhaps I should ask it this way. Which was driving the train with those two guys? Very clear. You don't even have to think about that very long. The two guys who went out and put the money in motion, they were thinking about reward. If they weren't, why else would they have risked? But they said, hey, we want a big return, so we're putting this money in motion. The guy who dug the hole, the question is, what was he thinking about? The risk was big in his mind. And the reward was small. I've asked you, I've come to this point to ask you the question tonight, what is biggest in your mind on this April night in 2009? Are you living your life scared of the risks or are you living your life focused, locked in on the rewards? That's a huge question. And we need to remember what the writer of Proverbs said. He said, if you don't have any oxen, if you're not taking any risks, 
stall is clean, but if you want a large harvest, some risk is going to have to happen. I've been writing in this journal, actually I feel like I've written a book, but I've been writing in this journal almost every day and writing these articles and these, letter, these, uh, these chapters. And I keep looking at this story and I keep thinking, is there anything that I've missed? Because I've been working on it for a year. Is there anything in Jesus' story that maybe I haven't picked up on? And finally it hit me as I was writing the chapters for tonight's talk. This guy, this loser that got fired, he didn't get fired because he lost at the game. He got fired because he abandoned the game. I'm talking to some of you. You're saying, well, Mark, if I take a risk, I might lose. Yeah, and God knows that. But if it's a risk that God wants you to take, first of all, God will underwrite that risk. And even if you do take a risk and lose, God's, what God is looking for is for people who will take a risk. I mean, he didn't get after this guy because he, if the guy had come back and said, I did my very best and I didn't make all that much money, I think he would have been okay. He got reamed out because he abandoned the game. Guys, I don't want to abandon. I don't want to just like lock down. I mean, I meet Christians like this all the time. It's like life has been tough. This didn't go well. That didn't go well. So I'm just going to shut down and I'm going to play it safe until Jesus comes or until I die. And I'm just going to make enough money to pay mortgage payment and buy food and and pay my bills. And basically I'm going to shut down. Oh, man, God is looking for people who understand the importance of that odd couple relationship between risk and reward. So let's just start with that tonight. Let's go to this next one. Turn loose. Turn loose. Here's the thing. If we want to make any kind of impact in life, whether we're talking about making money, whether we're talking about having a great family, if we're talking about, um, you know, having friends, and especially if we're talking about the kingdom of God, here's what we must understand. There's no increase without taking a risk, without turning loose. The two guys who made double on the owner's money, both of those guys had to turn loose of what the owner had given them. Not until they turned it loose could they affect any doubling. I do have a hard time turning loose. I don't know how you guys are, but I do have a hard time turning loose. And I have a saying, and I know my staff is tired of it. I'm sure my family is tired of it. And my friends are tired of the statement. But I don't know how many times I make this statement, especially when it comes to the moment of saying, wow, I would like to have the reward, but I don't want to take the risk. And I, I say this all the time, and you guys will get tired of it after tonight, okay? I say you can't swim and hold on to the dock at the same time. Now, the reason why I say that was I remember my dad trying to teach me to swim down in Lake Buchanan in the hill country of Texas. And my dad taught me the mechanics of swimming. He told me about the sweeping motions of my arm and those working in tandem with my leg kicks. And dad said, Mark, if you do that, you can propel yourself through the water. And I believed him. And I did just fine with three appendages. And I was holding on to the pier, man. I had the sweep going with this hand and I had the kicks going with the other. But I never swam until I turned loose of the dock. See, that's just it. Anything you want, in in any area where you want impact, any area where you want to make a difference, in any area where you want to expand, you got to be willing to turn loose of what you have in your hand because you can't swim and hold on to the dock at the same time. I know I've told you this before, but I grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth area. I remember very clearly when the first Six Flags opened in Arlington. I was a small kid. I used to go with the big kids from my church out to Six Flags. And all the big kids wanted to ride the hairiest rides out there. And they said, well, why don't you come? And I'm like six, seven years old. Come on, Mark, go with us. And I used to negotiate with myself and say something like this. I'll stand in line. I'll stand in line. 
And, and, and I would do that. I would stand in line. And, and, and I was saying to myself, at any moment, I can walk away. At any moment, I can walk away. At any moment, I can walk away. And I did walk away <laughs> a lot of times. There's always that moment. Because see, here was the deal. If I got on the ride, I got the thrills and the chills. But if I got off the ride, I just watched everybody else ride. And ladies and gentlemen, that's how life works. You can stand in line, but at the end of the day, you're either getting the thrills and the chills of a life that where you turn loose of the resources that God has put in your hand in order to get increase, or you're just watching everybody else ride. Man, I want to ride. I want the thrills and the chills of a life of God's blessing and the thrills and the chills of knowing that my life is making a difference. God has wired this thing this way. And I know what we all crave. We all want the rewards to dump on us and say, wow, this is great. I don't have to take any risk. I can't tell you how many times somebody would tell me, man, Mark, I invested in this stock and it went up 10 times. It's been a long time since somebody told me this. But I, I, I invested in this stock and it went up 10 times. And I'm saying, hmm, I wish I'd done that. Well, I had the same opportunity, but I didn't act in a timely fashion, and I wasn't willing to turn loose of what God had given me. In all your life and my life, there are going to be two impulses when it comes to great things. There's going to be that impulse that says, stay, sit tight, don't take any risk, be safe, be comfortable. There's going to be that impact, impulse that says, go for it. One of those will win. Only one can win. If this works with love. I can't tell you how many people talk to me, and basically what they're saying is, I want a marriage where there is no risk. I would love to tell you that it's possible, but I've never learned to love without risking. If I don't love, I'm not risking anything. I don't lose anything if it falls apart. But the moment I love, I risk. You want a great marriage? You got to turn loose of your love. You got to turn loose of your trust. You got to turn loose of your time. You got to turn loose of your praise. You got to turn loose of those things that are so important to you. You got to turn loose of your forgiveness. Anything that's great in life is going to be required. You have to turn loose. I mean, next, I mean, we're we're, we're building a building because not only we're doing the you times two thing, we're doing us times two as a church, and we're we're starting to build a kids building that will actually double our kids space. May sixteenth and seventeenth, we're receiving an offering, an offering for that that day, and then an offering of, of of commitment for the next year. I know how tough times are. Man, we're talking about investing in what God is doing. And if I'm going to be successful, if I'm going to make an impact, guess what Mark's going to have to do in Mary Alice and my family? We're going to have to turn loose of some resources. See, you can't swim and hold on to the dock at the same time. We're either riding a ride or just watching others. Okay, we're climbing because it gets even better. You ready for this? Write down the laws of harvest. The laws of harvesting. Planting and harvesting is a fact. God has built that fact into the world. It wasn't some farmer who said, oh, how about that? If I drop this seed, guess what? A plant came up. No, no, no. Here's what the Bible says. In the book of Genesis, God says as long as people, as long as the world exists, seed time and harvest will not perish from the earth. God is saying as long as there's a world, there will be seed time and harvest. It was God when he thought this grand plan up for the world. It was God who invented planting and harvesting. Now here's the thing. If you and I want reward 
The risk part is the planning, and then the blessing is the reward that God gives us for planning, the laws of harvesting, and it's a fact, seed time and harvest. This is going to be true financially for you, it's going to be true relationally for you, and it is especially true when we think about the kingdom of our, our, our Lord Jesus. Okay, here's the first law of harvesting, and this is going to be really deep here, okay? So all of you who went to um, agricultural school and you got your PhD in agricultural engineering, you guys will probably get this. The rest of us will struggle, okay? Because this is really, really, really deep. Here's law number one. You always harvest what you plant. Isn't that deep? It's true. You always harvest what you plant. Now, my parents are here tonight. And they both grew up on farms in South Texas. In 1951, my dad moved to Fort Worth, which is an urban city, and he, we were in the middle of the city pretty much, to pastor a church. And he pastored the same church for almost 50 years, so they lived in Fort Worth all that time. And I remember growing up that my parents, even though they were out of the country, you could not get the country out of them. They loved gardening. I mean, I don't, gardening is not a heavy-duty enough word. They farmed our subdivision. That is a fact. If you go to my parents' house right now, dad has a big garden and the easement behind his house. I mean, that's just how they are. I mean, it, it, was, it was a serious enterprise in our family because we ate from the garden. My mom put up the food stuff. I mean, the, the, from the, one of the, some of the earliest memories I have is in planning. Now, I started planning before I could read, but I wasn't worried about that because in those days you get seed packages and there were bright pictures of whatever we were planting. And I looked at those pictures, didn't know what the words meant, but I knew what a cucumber was, I knew what a tomato was. And, and here's the thing, I remember this about being a kid and planting, I was never surprised. We planted peas, we got peas. We planted corn, we got corn. Planted okra, we got okra. I mean, that's just how it worked. We always got, one of the first things I learned is that you always harvest what you plant. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says this, a man reaps what he sows. I was never surprised. Guys, let me just say something to you. This is probably one of the most powerful things I think I've ever communicated from a stage speaking for God. And I remember doing a series and bringing this almost every week. So I'm going to tell you one of the most important things I'll ever say. Every thought you have, every word you say, every attitude, attitude you hold, every dollar you spend is a seed and you'll see it again. You harvest what you plant. If you plant kindness, you'll reap kindness. If you plant forgiveness, you'll reap forgiveness. If you plant joy, you'll reap joy. God has wired this in. It cannot happen otherwise. It is defined, it is determined before we drop a seed in the ground. Every thought I think is a seed. If I think healthy thoughts, I'll reap a healthy mind. If I, if I say pleasant words, I will reap pleasantness. Everything we say, everything we think, every attitude we hold, by the way, if I plant a bad attitude, I'll reap it, most likely with my kids. You reap what you sow. This is big. If you want to harvest, a particular harvest, plant that particular seed. Because you'll reap what you sow.
I'm careful about saying this because marriage situations, relationship situations are complicated. But I cannot tell you how many times in the last 32 years a couple has sat in my office and told me we have a bad marriage. And almost always the person who's telling me that he or she has a bad marriage is pointing to the other person in the room. Not me. Pointing. <laughs> well, actually, I may have had that once or twice. People get mad enough at me for telling the truth. Almost always they'll point to the other person and say, I married the wrong guy. I married a bad guy. I married a bad gal. Now I'm sitting back there as a third party, and I'm thinking, these are both wonderful people. These are good people. I've actually sat there in a room looking at two people who looked at each other with hatred. I just can't imagine the hatred that sometimes people have for each other. Looking at each other like that, and I'm thinking to myself, what is going on here? These are awesome people. I would leave my kids with either one of these people. How can one of these people be a wrong person? And I knew in my heart, I knew just from listening, everything that was going on, it wasn't a bad marriage. They were having a bad harvest. They had been planting seeds of anger and unkindness and inattention. They have been planting seeds of unforgiveness. They have been planting seeds of hot words. They've been planting those seeds for a long time. And now two of the finest people I ever saw were having a bad harvest. And they were looking at me as if I should believe it, as if to say, Mark, we need to get a divorce. And I'm saying, oh, no, please. You don't need to get a divorce. You just need to stop planting bad seed. And start planting good seed. Because I'll tell you guys, the creator of this whole thing, the guy who orchestrates everything, God has put seed time and harvest into effect, and it cannot be broken. We reap what we sow. Ready for law number two? You always reap later than you sow. How many parents or grandparents try to plant a garden with a toddler? Oh, that's an exercise. What are you doing, Grandpa? Oh, we're planting. Well, I see you dropping seed in the ground. What are you dropping seed in the ground for? Well, we're going to grow some watermelons, cantaloupes. So you drop the seeds in the ground and get the little hills or little furrows or whatever. You go back in the house, and a few moments later, what happens? A little toddler back out there. <laughs> and next thing, your credibility is at stake at that point. You say, well, it takes a while. They figure that out. The next time they come to your house, they expect to see everything. I mean, they expect watermelon on the table. They come out there, nothing's changed. <laughs> if it's a trouble for toddlers when it comes to life seed, it's trouble for you and me too. Because, you see, what happens <laughs> when we plant a seed, we expect results. It works both ways. Let's say we plant bad seed, and we know it's wrong. And we know what we're doing is not good. And especially if you're a God follower and you know the Bible, you do something wrong, it's like, oh, you're flinching, waiting for the shoe to drop. But hey, you get up the next morning, and you know, it's not World War III. You get up, oh, 
Eat breakfast. Nothing happens. Get to the day. Ooh, I'm still here. God hadn't nuked me yet. Two days, three days go by. You know what we can say? Hey, I'm going to get by with this. I mean, the Bible talks about this with, with quite a few people. I mean, I think this is what happened with King David when he, when, he had a, when he had an affair with Bathsheba. I mean, it was at least nine months until their baby, you know, until their baby died. I don't think David had a clue till late in the game. I'm going to get by with this. It works the other way, too. We plant good seed. You say, Mark, you just don't understand my marriage. It, I know you say God organizes sowing and reaping thing, but you don't know my marriage because I've been planting good seed for a while, and my husband's still the same jerk he's always been. I don't see any change. And you always reap later than you sow. Listen to what the Bible says. Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That is God's word. Man, if you're dropping good seed, you remember this. There's seed time and there's harvest time. There's a time to plant and there's a time to harvest, Solomon said. And if you're dropping good seed, you will get a good harvest. God will bring you a good harvest. He cannot deny his word. Law number three, you always reap more than you sow. You're planting corn, you dig little holes, dig furrows, drop three or four grains of corn in there. Do you expect, do you expect identical replacement? No. You're expecting dramatic multiplication. Man, you expect a stalk a producing stock with ears of corn, with rows of kernels. You drop three or four peas in the ground, you expect to get three or four peas? No, you expect to get pods of peas on a little, pea, on a little bush. Why? Because you reap more than you sow. You reap what you sow, you reap later than you sow, and you reap more than you sow. You always harvest more than you plant. Jesus said this in Luke 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, if you risk, if you give, he said, I'm going to hand it back to you packed and running over because you always reap more than you sow. That is why you never want to sow bad seed. I can tell you, I mean, how many of us are old enough to testify? I can in my life. I can tell you about dumb stuff I've done. Came back to haunt me a lot bigger than I thought it would. But I don't, we don't want to talk about that tonight. We're talking about doubling our impact. Let's talk about planting good seed. You realize when you plant good seed, God will see to it that it comes back greater than when you, when you let go of it. Now, here's the thing. This is what really got me as I was prepping for this message. I remember I was writing at about 1 o'clock in the morning when this just really hit me, and I put it in the chapter. God has given you and me a lot of authority over our harvests. You ever realize that? You say, oh, I just take whatever comes. You know, good things come to those who wait. No hash comes to those who wait. Leftovers come to those who wait. No, no. God wants us to be aggressive about this. Hey, is there a particular area where you want to harvest? Then start sowing in that area. I mean, this is just God talking, not me. If you want to harvest someplace, start planting there. 
going back to marriage, it's just really on my heart tonight. I, I don't know why that is. Maybe, it's God, maybe I'm talking to somebody here tonight. And you're saying, now Mark, when, I mean, you're not saying it to me necessarily, but you're saying, when my husband changes, then I'll change. When my wife becomes the woman I thought I was marrying, then I'll change. No, it doesn't work that way. If you want to harvest someplace, start planting there right? I mean, you won't see it grow up maybe overnight, but if you want to harvest someplace, plant there. If you want financial blessings, then you plant finances where God is blessing. If you want to see relationships grow, then plant in that relationship. God is looking for people who are not takers, who are not consumers, but people who will have faith in him and he will keep his word. You always reap what you sow. You always reap later than you sow, and you always reap more than you sow. Oh, I could go on. I love that. Last thing. The audacity of impact. The audacity of impact. I don't know how it works in your life, but this risk-reward thing goes like this for me. Consumerism. And I'm an American. I like nice things. Consumerism will always talk real sweet to you. Consumerism will say, do you, do you have everything you want? You're over at the shopping center, and consumerism just come on, put his arm around you. Are you comfortable? Are, are you happy? Oh, oh, maybe you need that dress. Or, or, or maybe, you know, or, and, and guys, you know, consumerism will actually take us by the car lot, and it'll say, are you happy with your car? It's almost out of warranty. Look at that, baby, that's what you need. That's what consumerism does. Consumerism says, are you comfortable? And that's why we like it. (laughs) Not impact. Impact knows how to make the ask. Impact will say, "You you want blessing? You want to make a difference? Impact will just flat out ask you, and it'll ask for it first. Ooh. A lot of people say, I don't know if I want that or not, but that is what impact will. This is why so few people in our culture today are really making a difference because they're living for consumerism. You have everything you want? Would you like to have something more? Why don't you put the plastic down? Maybe you can pay the minimum payments. Impact will say, step forward and risk and do it first. There's a story I love in the Bible. It's in Second, First Kings, rather, 17. Elijah was God's prophet. And I find myself in Elijah a lot. Elijah was very mercurial. There were no pastels in his personality. <clears throat> and uh, he was just a flamboyant guy, but he was a great man of God, and he was very committed. And Elijah wound up being a prophet during a really rough time in Israel. God's people had disobeyed God and... God had sent a drought, a multi-year drought. Three and a half years, actually. No rain. People were, I mean, life was reduced down just to having enough food to survive the next 24 hours. It wasn't what car am I going to drive, what house am I going to live in. It was, am I going to have enough food to make it? You know that climate over there, three and a half years with no rain. One day God told Elijah, I got a plan to feed you. I want you to head over to this place called Zarephath, and and there's a widow there who lives there, and I've commanded her to take care of you. I've already instructed her to to meet your needs, to feed you. Now, if I'm Elijah, I'm thinking, wow, 
probably rich, Richwood over there, got more provisions than she could use in three lifetimes. God is saying, go over there, you know, live in her, live in her guest house, you know, live out by the pool, and she'll put a buffet out there for you every day. I'm all over that. So Elijah went to Zarephath. <laughs> if that's what he was thinking, reality must have been a real slap in the face because when he got to this town, this poor woman was picking up sticks. And he asked her for a drink of water. And she said yes. And as she went in to get him a drink of water, in verse 13, he said, oh, and uh, a little food. And she said, honest to God, Pastor, we don't have any food. There's not a crumb in the house. I got a little handful of flour and just a little bit of cooking oil in the bottom of a vase. And, and the reason I'm out picking out sticks here is because I'm going to fix a little biscuit, and my son and I, she had a teenage boy, my son and I are going to half this, and that's going to be our last meal, and we're going to die. And Elijah said, well, go, go do that. Go, go, go make that biscuit. But uh, verse 13, make a little bread for me first. Now, guys, if I'm Elijah, and as soon as I've heard what's going on, I, I am making my hasty retreats. And I know that I must have found the wrong house. And I'm so sorry that I've asked this poor woman for anything. And I'm profusely apologizing and I'm backing away, at, at, but not our boy. He said, yeah, 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 but make me a little bread first. See, that's what impact will do. Comfort, creature comfort. Consumerism will say, are you, are you comfortable? You need more. Making a real difference and living a life of blessing will look you right in the eye and it will ask you for it and it will ask you for it first. I've lost some of you right now. But remember, I asked the question at the beginning, would you like to live a life of blessing? Would you like to make a difference? And so if I've, if I've lost you, let me just talk to the rest of you now. The woman went in and did exactly what Elijah asked. And here's what the Bible said. The Bible said that God replaced that flour and God replaced that oil for the duration of the drought. And every time she went in, there was more flour and there was more oil. See, the thing was, if you read the, if you read the fine print, before you call 911 on Elijah and report him for abuse, I just want you to know that God told Elijah, I have instructed her and God had instructed Elijah. And based on the instruction that God gave to those two people, God kept his word. The audacity of impact. It will make the ask. I just love this, man. Guys, this is so beautiful. I, 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 you got to hear a song. Lance and the band have got a song that just really speaks to this. I'll listen to this and I'll be back in just a moment. But I know that I've got to make a change I don't care if I break At least I'll be feeling something Cause just okay is not enough Help me fight through the nothingness of life 
Is that powerful or what? You know, uh, I've been talking that about risk-reward and the ultimate example, and, and those of us who are Christ followers, we're following the man who is the ultimate example of this. He was trying to explain to his disciples why he was going to die. And isn't it interesting that he pulled this out? He said, and maybe he held one in his hand. He said, unless a, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it's all by itself. But he said, if it falls in the ground and dies, it brings forth a harvest. And what Jesus was saying is, guys, that's why I'm dying. He didn't see his death as ending his life. He saw death as him being planted as a seed 
And all of us who are followers of Christ, who have embraced him, we've, we've sprung to life because he died in our place. And by the way, I just want to say, if you've never sprung to life, it's because you've never had Jesus in your life. People are always saying, is Jesus really all that important? I don't, how else can you spring to life? Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And, and that's why he died. He, he died so that you and I could, could be born again. And then three days later, he walked out of the grave under his own power, and he is king of kings and lord of lords. And he... And I love him, and I know him, and he's changed my life. I'll tell you one thing. Without Jesus, I'd be the most classic jerk you ever saw in your life. I may still not be too close, too far away from that. I know. Jesus has changed my life. I just invited him in, and I've never been the same. So my question for you is, have you ever invited him in? I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to give money. I'm not asking you to do, I'm not even asking you to try to do better. Eternal life is a gift. Jesus died to give it to you. And here's what the Bible says. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So every weekend in all of our services, I always pray a prayer and say, if you'd like to pray to receive Jesus, you can pray with me. And these aren't magic words because he just wants a yes. That's what he wants more than anything else. He wants you to believe him, to believe that he did what he said he did, that he died for you, and that he rose from the grave. He wants you to believe him and then ask him in. You say, Mark, I don't understand it all. I, I don't either. It's been... 44 years for me. I don't understand it all. I just know he came in, and he's still at work, and he's still investing in me. And so would you give him a chance? Would you ask him in? I'm going to pray a prayer, and if, you've, if, you, if that sounds good to you tonight, to have Jesus, to have everlasting life, to have all your sins forgiven, to have a relationship with God, a personal relationship with God. You don't have to go through a pastor or through a priest. You can just go directly to God. If that sounds great to you, now let's do it. Let's pray. I'm going to pray these words, and if you, you can pray these in your heart. And I'll pray it slowly so you can think about the words, because what God cares about is that you mean it. So here we go. Dear Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you arose from your grave. I'm trusting you tonight. I'm asking you to come inside of me and make me God's child. I don't understand everything, but I take you at your word. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer, I have a gift I want to give you. It won't cost you anything. Just some DVDs because it happens so fast. And I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know how to follow him. And just this is free, free. It won't cost you anything. When you came in tonight, you got a worship folder. Part of it is detachable. If you just prayed to receive Christ, you'll notice a little blue box there. If you'll put your name and address and just check the box and said, I prayed to receive Christ, you can detach this. You can drop it in the offering bags or the boxes by the back door. Or if you have just a few extra minutes and you want this tonight, you don't even have to wait for me to mail this. If you just prayed to receive Christ, I want you to have it so bad. If you'll just take your card and go back to guest services or New Spring Store, I'm right past those two middle doors, either one of those locations, just hand them the card. They won't ask you any tough questions or anything. All you got to do is say, I pray with Mark, and they'll give this to you. You can take it home with you tonight. Because if you just accepted Jesus, you just made the greatest decision of your life. Guys, I'm so glad you're here this evening. Next week, we have, I have a message for all of us. In fact, this is just probably, I think, one of the most powerful messages I've ever had. It's called due diligence. I cannot wait to bring due diligence, all right? And so, uh, in fact, I'd love to get started right now. Um, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see you next week.